0: .NET Rocks episode 633 with guest Grant Skinner. Recorded live Monday, January 31st, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.NET, training developers to work smarter and now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here's Carl and Richard.
1: Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl and Richard. And if you're living in the northeastern United States, I'm sorry. <laughs> we, you guys have had a snowy winter. Well, in Connecticut, southeastern Connecticut, this is the actually the whole state of Connecticut, the snowiest winter on record ever. Wow. You know, it makes you wonder about global warming. And now I say that fl- glibly because uh, you you and I know as well that when the planet heats up, parts of it get really hot, parts of it get really cold. Yeah. And it's well, a sort of a snap back dynamic that's happening here.
2: Because over here in the Northwest, we've just had rain, 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 rain.
1: Right. And it's really just an upset in the weather pattern. Yes. Things
2: yeah. seem unstable, but then so
1: do we. Yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. Hey, it's time for Better Know Framework. Awesome. So what do you got? Today we're going to check for updates in really? Silverlight 4. So you know, you have a Silverlight 4 out of browser uh, thingamabob right? application. Yeah, that's the word for it. The widgety? Yeah, the widgety thing. Yep. The app, your Silverlight app, it's out of browser, it's full trust or whatever it is. You know, it's a nice little business app. And there's a new version. How do you... Check for that new version and just seamlessly update if it's there. Well, right. you use the application.current.check and download update async method and handle the application.current.check and download update completed event. Yes. And Gee. then you got to do a little bit of code. And I actually use tinyurl to create an alias oh. to a tutorial that's at uh, silverlight.net. Advanced Silverlight out of browser. And there's four exercises. One is for enabling a drop zone for drag and drop. Okay. Drag and drop Silverlight. Nice. And then importing Excel data so you can drop a spreadsheet on your Silverlight app. Um, and then just working with the file system and then checking for updates. So this is a really cool article up here. Um, it takes about 45 minutes to go through. But if you're just looking for that update... Go to tinyurl.com slash check for updates. Richard, who's talking to us?
2: A little bit of a long one, but you'll like it Um, because it's totally relevant to stuff we've done recently. Hey, Carl and Richard. And then he has a little section marked usual props for the show. (laughs) First off, I want to say your show rocks. Nice. I listen to it as much as I can while commuting or working out. And I started listening um, since about show 80 a couple of years back. Um, Dude, that's like four years ago <laughs> yeah he's a big and fan. try to skip as little as possible even the topics that do not resonate with me eventually pan out and contain some really interesting info and observations so keep up the good work
1: hey it's nice to just get a thanks Yep,
2: yeah, that was just just that's his nice words now he's going to be mean to us okay get ready i'm ready the other day i was doing my buy daily is that every twice a day or every other day i think that's twice a day Seven mile run in my hometown in ah. the Netherlands. Oh, I'm hoping it's every other day while listening to show 619 with Sean Wildermuth talking about Silverlight and Windphone 7 development. Mm-hmm. I greatly value Sean's opinion, but there was one thing he mentioned during the show that I tend to disagree with. Okay. I don't think you tend. I think you just plain old disagree with it here, Sander. Uh, in that show, you guys talked about O data and that it seems to get traction in some spaces, but less in the Silverlight space. And Sean is confused why people would use WCF RIA services when compared to OData. I've Mm. used RIA services extensively in the last couple of projects I did, and I love it. It seems like people who see WCF RIA services just as a service layer comparable to OData and the like, but it's a lot more.
1: Yeah, it is. It simplifies.
2: Yeah, there are definitely reasons why you should choose RIA services over plain OData, like validation through data annotations so that validation occurs both on the client and the server without writing the code twice, Mm -hmm. change tracking and conflict resolution, client-side relations so that you get products and orders in separate queries and RIA services relates to two so you can navigate from products to orders and vice versa, querying, paging, filtering, and sorting, and a really easy development model. You don't have to worry about the client versus the server and so on. Mm. And of course, you can do all these things with OData, but it's not an integrated story like it is in Rio services. That means you need to do all the plumbing yourself. And let's face it, it's not what you like to do. I've also experimented a bit with the Microsoft Sync framework, which we did a show on a while back, which is based on OData. And that makes it a little bit easier in that there's a context object that tracks your changes, but there's still no validations and relations and so on. Hmm. OData has its place, especially when you want to be open. And when starting a project, you should always investigate your needs first. But for a plain old-fashioned line-of-business application, I still prefer RIA services, and I keep telling people to use it. With kind regards from Sander Schutten in the Netherlands. Well, Sander, yeah, I got no argument from me, man. I dig it. That's good stuff. and I'll send you a mug. And if you'd like a mug... Send us an email, rocks at net. Well,
1: what's interesting about that is that you can use RIA services to consume OData services. Right. So the two are not mutually exclusive? They are not mutually exclusive. Good point, my friend. Our guest today is Grant Skinner. Grant is an internationally recognized leader in the field of rich interactive experiences. His body of work spans experimental interaction, applications, games, websites, installations, embedded devices, and mobile with a recent focus on projects that span multiple environments. Grant fuses his experience with design, user experience, development, and business, with a driving creativity to produce projects that push the boundaries of interactive technologies. While building gskinner.com into a leading interactive production shop, Grant has worked with a wide range of high-caliber clients, including AOL, BBC, Salesforce, Nissan, Adobe, GE, Atlantic Records, Comcast, EA, CNN, and DirecTV. And that's some ac- acronym soup right there. Welcome to .NET Rocks, Grant. Thank you. Wow, that's quite a quite a lot of uh, acronyms there. So you've been a busy guy.
0: Yeah, I stay busy. A bit of a workaholic, according to my wife.
2: It's not really work if you're having fun. That's right.
0: That's the way I look at it. I I like what I do. So if if it's a decision between watching TV or uh, doing some more code, it's almost always the code.
1: So tell us about Pirates Love Daisies.
0: Well, Pirates Love Daisies was a project that uh, my company, gscanner.com, worked on uh, in conjunction with Microsoft, basically they came to us and uh, they'd been following the work that we'd been doing with Flash, and uh, as Microsoft sort of steps into the HTML5 world, they wanted some cool demos done, and so they asked us to sort of take the plunge into that that new technology and see what we could build. Uh, specifically, they were interested in something, something in the gaming world, and uh, so Pirates Love Daisies were, was born what
1: is it exactly
0: uh pirates love daisies is a uh online casual tower defense game and it's built completely with html and javascript and it uses a bunch of the new html5 features
1: yeah so uh th- this is this stuff that you can only get with the latest round of um browsers safari 5 chrome 6 internet explorer 9
0: right yeah it's uh very much dependent on having the most up-to-date browser you can
1: yeah so was it a challenge supporting all those browsers with html5
0: it was less of a challenge than we expected it to be it was definitely more of a challenge than the sort of write once and run consistently everywhere that we're used to using something like flash um we kind of expected a bit of a uh you know cross-browser nightmare Mm -hmm. but um most of the features we used, with the exception of, I think, dynamic audio, were, were pretty consistent between browsers. We still had to you know, tweak here and there uh, for browser-specific issues, but, but generally what we wrote uh, just worked.
1: What is dynamic audio, if you don't mind me asking?
0: Uh, so in HTML5, you can now instantiate audio tags and playback audio um, through code. And it's it's still kind of limited. You're limited to, like, 37 audio objects. Um, and different browsers all have their own quirks with it, but it doesn't mean that we can actually, like, trigger uh, sound effects and music and things like that based mm-hmm. on what's going on in our content, in this case, you know, what's happening in the game.
1: Oh, that's cool. And is it pretty, pretty um, uh, low latency?
0: Yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, I don't think that you're going to be writing, like, audio sequencers with it anytime soon. Right. But, uh, for doing a, you know, a simple, casual game, it, it was decent. I mean, again, we ran into a lot of issues, but once right. we, we solved those...
1: So that um, was the main stumbling block, was that?
0: Yeah, I would say in terms of consistency, audio was definitely the biggest issue we ran into. It was, it yeah. was quite a struggle. Um, like literally every browser had its own bugs. So,
1: Is, Was it a matter of bugs, or was it a matter of, um, also of implementation?
0: Uh, a bit of both. Um, I mean, there was bugs, there are differences in implementation, which to me kind of means a bug anyway, right? I mean, it's, I don't think the standard is necessarily as clear as it could be. And so browser manufacturers are kind of interpreting Hmm. it in their own way, which, um, of course makes developers' lives difficult. Yeah. And then there's even, you know, like undocumented limitations or at least poorly documented limitations, such as. Uh, you know, in Chrome, you can only have 37 audio channels or 37 audio objects, which mm. uh, really stumped us for a while until we tracked down what was going on.
2: Seems like a pretty arbitrary number,
1: 37. Yeah, really.
0: It does. We we kind of expected like 32 or 64 yeah. or something <laughs> that made some kind of sense. but
1: Or 130. You know, 37 seems kind of low, too, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it's especially when you consider that that's not like concurrent channels. That's yeah. actually the total number of... Of audio elements, so we had to do interesting things like assign four audio elements to one type of character's uh, sound effects because uh, she shot really quickly and often, and so we needed to be able to play that sound regularly. And so we had to take that those 37 sounds and decide how to um, divide them up between different type, like different sound types, right? So different shooting noises or different death noises.
1: Mm.
2: All of these browsers are beta, right? Like none of these are dec- are finished versions of anything.
0: Uh, well, Safari and Chrome are both. I mean, these are shipping versions of the the browser. Uh, we do support um, the latest final version of Firefox. Uh, we're we're not directly supporting the four beta. Uh, I think we're running against the latest final build, like um, release build of Opera. It's mainly just IE nine that's still. Still in beta.
1: Okay. And is the HTML5 implementation baked in already as a as a done feature of these browsers, or are they plugins?
0: Well, HTML5 is actually. Um, I mean, it's a a variety of different features. So you can't you know you can't just refer to HTML5 as something that's there or not. It's different features of HTML5 that are there or not. Hmm. And um, the features that we were using, they're all baked into the you know, the most recent releases of these browsers.
1: So, and in terms of uh, compatibility for things like graphics primitives and video, that's all pretty much standard cross-browser?
0: Yeah, I mean, again, with some inconsistencies and, you know, still some buggy behaviors here and yeah. there, but um, generally it's it's available in all the, the newest browsers.
1: Well, that's pretty encouraging. Don't you think, Richard?
2: Yeah, well, absolutely, and, and surprising. I'm just gonna guess... I would want to go through and see how many times you say if Firefox or if uh, uh, for Safari and so forth. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, in our code, we really didn't take that tactic. I'm not sure that we did it anywhere. There are places where we check for a particular feature, um, but we don't check for particular browsers. Because, of course, as these browsers continue to mature and continue to add features um, and fix their bugs and things like that, we really don't want to have... Fixes in there that um, are fixing something that doesn't isn't a problem anymore. So,
1: were, did that force you to program against the lowest common denominator?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, to some extent, like the number of audio objects is a little bit variable between different browsers. Uh, so, we obviously had to choose the lowest number of audio tags. Yeah, um, and then things like performance. I mean. Uh, Firefox is lagging way behind, whereas IE9 is kind of on its own level right now because they're doing hardware acceleration. Mm. Uh, And so we chose the tactic of having sort of the base gameplay that ran in everything on a a modern system, and then uh, the option to turn on enhanced effects, uh, which was primarily targeted at IE9 just because its graphics layer is really fast.
2: Okay. Okay and i do notice in pirates love daisies you do have the checkbox for additional effects for ie9
0: yeah exactly so we didn't want to you know we didn't want to build a demo for microsoft and i don't think they wanted a demo that would only be accessible to people running ie9 i mean right. we wanted to prove that you know internet explorer is is friendly and it, it plays with the rest of the web well and so we wanted to build a demo that ran everywhere but we also wanted to highlight You know what kind of set it apart, which was this really fast graphics layer, and so to do that, uh, we automatically turn on those enhanced effects when we're running in IE9, but we give people the option to turn them on if they're in other browsers. And that way, you know, Chrome, for example, has announced that they're going to be supporting some hardware rendering and hardware compositing. And when that gets um, when that's put in, uh, then Chrome users can turn that on and have the same experience. Uh, hopefully, that IE9 uh, users are getting.
1: Yeah, it looks really nice. I'm I'm looking at it now. Just uh, yeah, I'm looking at it in Chrome, actually. I don't know what else to say except it looks pretty cool. Um, <laughs> are there are there? Um, I you know. So, tell us about the page source. Like, if I like view the page source, I'm going to see. HTML5 in here, or am I just going to see divs and spans like, like I'm used to, or am I going to see anything strange?
0: Uh, I don't think you'll see a whole lot uh, that yells HTML5 at you. Yeah. Pretty much all the like HTML5 stuff is uh, sitting inside of the JavaScript files. Right. Um, we're also dynamically pulling in and inserting parts of the page as we need them. Um, yeah. So things like the canvas tag and stuff like that are Uh, mostly going to be hidden away in external files.
1: You use uh, iframes for that kind of stuff, right?
0: Uh, No, we're just doing DOM injection.
1: Okay. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, who want me to tell you about JustMock, Telerik's mocking tool. And unlike most mocking tools, JustMock can work with non-virtual methods, sealed classes, and static methods and classes, giving you complete control over your code. And, of course, you get that great Telerik quality and support. You can read more and download the tool at Telerik.com slash JustMock. And, hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, Facebook.com slash Telerik.
2: What sort of tooling did you use, Grant, here to build the, uh, the game?
0: Uh, let's see. We used Dreamweaver for a lot of the coding, uh, so writing the JavaScript and the HTML. Uh, we actually did all the graphics. We did with a fantastic illustration company called uh, Pulp Studios, and they used Illustrator to do most of the art, uh, and then they did the animation in Flash, and then we actually built a custom tool that takes uh, Swifts and outputs them as sprite sheets that we can use in the game.
2: So you actually used a, a Flash tool to generate Flash resources that you then converted.
0: Right, correct. There's not really any great animation tools out there yet for HTML5. So um, in terms of you know having a UI to do the animation in, Flash is a great tool. And then obviously we didn't want to just export a Swift and use that in our game because then it would be a Flash game, not a HTML5 game. Right. So we built a tool that... Again, let us take that that Swift with the animations in it and dump those out as sprite sheets.
1: Well, that was a suggestion of Microsoft about supporting HTML five. You know, with uh, basically converting Silverlight applications to to HTML five. You know, use a right. converter approach. A lot
0: of people are looking at that type of thing. I mean, you're already seeing um, tools and libraries that uh, will cross convert Swifts and. Uh, There's even an AS2 interpreter out there that runs in JavaScript, which seems a little bit, I don't know, redundant or over-complex to me, but um, it's still interesting to see these things coming out.
1: So besides the the audio tags, what was the biggest challenge, or was that the biggest challenge?
0: Um, I mean, for us, it was a new environment. Uh, We come from uh, doing mostly Flashworks, a lot of ActionScript 3.0. And so, dropping down to JavaScript was kind of like going back to AS1 for us, right? It's a couple of generations back. Mm-hmm. Um, JavaScript is like a, a much looser language. You know, it doesn't offer strict typing. There's uh, much less in the way of immediate errors. Um, and so, that was really a challenge for us. You know, trying to trying to get used to debugging in that environment and. Um, And just, you know, familiarize ourselves with the the sort of quirks and existing libraries. Uh, I mean, we used um, a query for the game. And so familiarizing ourselves with that uh, took a little while.
2: Hey, you don't think about JavaScript as a game programming environment, or sort of real-time environment where frame rates matter.
0: Right. I mean, it's really not built specifically for that. Um, You know, we had to build our own heartbeat for it, right? Like our own... Picker class, we had to um, again. Like debugging can just be a real mess when you're not getting compile time errors, and you're not, uh, you know, and and the language just accepts typos um, as opposed to throwing errors on them. Yeah. So it is it is much more complex to build large apps and games with JavaScript.
1: Wouldn't it be nice if all the other browsers had a JavaScript compiler like IE nine? <laughs>
0: If they threw good errors, yes. <laughs> but, I mean, again, the thing is, is that because you're dealing with such a dynamic language in JavaScript, the compiler still can't catch a lot of the errors. It can maybe suggest errors to you, but you might be doing really weird things that are, are allowed by the language, um, or it might be a typo, right?
2: Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's just not an easy environment to work in that way. Uh, what about the old GPU acceleration thing? Is that Do you see the impact of that?
0: Definitely, yeah. I mean, right now, IE9 is the only uh, browser that that has a GPU-accelerated graphics layer. And, I mean, it's way faster, especially when moving around, like, large bitmaps or drawing large vectors. Uh, You can really see the difference. Uh, I'm really looking forward to when all the other browsers implement it.
2: Yeah, I thought Chrome had a build-out that supported GPU.
0: Chrome is working on it. I don't think they have a build out. They might have a beta, um, but it's still not fully implemented.
2: Okay. So, it's still coming.
0: They've, yeah, they they've been making some announcements about it, but
2: yeah, it's it's good to see that sort of thing. It, it seems obvious on the but that was really something they did in Silverlight anyway.
0: Yeah, totally.
2: All right. What about uh EaselJS? What is EaselJS? What is it?
0: So Easel is a retained graphics library that we built for Canvas. Um, basically, so Canvas just lets you drop pixels to to the Canvas and then they're gone, right? It doesn't have any concept of display objects or display hierarchy or anything like that. Uh, so you need to manage all of that yourself, right? If you want to move a circle from one side of the canvas to the other, you need to actually retain data that describes that circle so you can repaint it every single frame. Um, and so when we built the game, uh, we started out by building this very like quick and somewhat hacky uh, display implementation that we could use with Canvas. And then based on what we learned building the whole game, uh, I went back and I wrote EaselJS, which is a sort of ActionScript 3 style display list and display manager for the Canvas. And we actually then took that and retrofitted it back into the game just mm-hmm. to just to kind of have a, a test for it. And uh, since then, we've open-sourced it and are continuing to work on.
1: How's the reception been on that? Is there anything else out there like it?
0: Uh, there's lots of game frameworks that are out there right now. Easel is maybe a little bit more general use. Right. Um,
1: Seems pretty you know, fundamental.
0: Just, yeah, exactly. We're really trying to, like... Lay down the core of what you need to work with, um, with Canvas. Whereas a lot of the other frameworks are focusing on, you know, specifically games, so yeah. integrating things like physics and stuff like that, uh, which is great. But you know, we want something that's a little bit more general use.
2: Right. Yeah, I'm thinking about. It back talking about resources around this thinking about pirates and and the whole collision model of firing shots at things that are moving and you know do you know they hit like are you actually calculating of that or are you cheating
0: um for the most part we're calculating it um some of our units are like point units so they basically you know if they have a pistol for example they just shoot at something and the minute they shoot we assume that they've hit it right um hmm. But with something like the, the cannon guy, uh, he actually, he fires, you know, he aims ahead of what he's shooting at, uh, he fires, that thing might move out of the way and not get hit at all. Right. And when the cannon hits the ground, it, it has a splash area and it does damage to anything that's within that zone.
1: Do you guys have a, we're
0: calculating then.
1: Do you guys use a physics engine?
0: Uh, not for that game, no.
1: But for other games?
0: Uh, we don't do a ton of game development. We've definitely played around with uh, things like Box 2D, uh, okay. which is basically ported like everywhere. So it's a nice consistent library to use. Hmm. Um, but yeah, we don't. We haven't used it in a game previously, other than internal things.
1: Richard, I'm I'm wondering now if you know people are talking about porting Silverlight apps to uh, HTML5. I'm wondering if XNA isn't a, a candidate as well. I mean, it's reporting. not something that you think about, but, you know, to go from an XNA game to an HTML5 game.
2: I don't know. It sounds like a stretch. It all comes down to the libraries, too, as how those things are done.
1: Yeah, that's true. It just seems like a, a high-level abstraction enough. I, I don't do that kind of programming, so I don't know. But, you well, know, it's, it's something to think about for any of our listeners who, are, who want to chime in on this on, on our Facebook page or whatever.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like some of the libraries would be possible. Um, I mean, one of the biggest things is just the performance, right? Um, right. I mean, JavaScript has gotten a ton faster over the last couple of years, but it's still, you know, it's still not a fast language, right? Sure. I mean, it's still going through a JIT. It's still um, loosely typed uh, despite yeah. a lot of the effort going into, like, um, introspection and things like that, but... Uh yeah, the question really comes down to, could you take a library as robust as XNA and have it perform adequately uh, in JavaScript?
1: Well, I mean, maybe not now, but down the road when, you know, all the browsers are cranking out the GPU acceleration in the, in the com- compilation of JavaScript, you know, it's quite possible. I think, yep. maybe.
2: And that, and that whole GPU thing is totally transparent to you as a developer, right? You did nothing to, to use the GPU.
0: Right exactly it's it's uh, just the graphics layer. we just keep doing the exact the same thing and it just runs faster
2: is it really is it focused on the canvas like do you, do you need to go there or is it anything on the browser
0: um, it applies to pretty much anything I mean canvas tends to be the fastest graphics layer as long as it's uh, well managed just because it's sort of closer to the metal right um, but they are hardware accelerating um, you know CSS and uh, things like that.
1: And you guys have talked about oh. Canvas now quite a few times. And just to, to let the users know what this is, this is sort of the fundamental drawing surface of uh, HTML5. Is that right? Right. Yeah, so you'd use a Canvas tag, and then you can draw on it.
0: Yeah, it's sort of like a, a very primitive um, window into graphics. It's almost like a, an image that you can write to, and it has tools for drawing vectors and things like that. So yeah. you, can, you know, do curve twos and line twos and
2: yeah, um, nice. fills
0: and strokes and those types of things.
2: And how much of the code overall in Pirates or Daisies is all about working with the canvas? I mean, you mentioned the sound, which I guess is, is somewhat external to that. But do you, do you have a sense of this is all about working in canvas?
0: No, it's, um, it's actually sort of a fusion. Like the main game engine all displays onto canvas. Uh, and then overlaid on that, we actually have DOM elements, right? We have divs that, uh, provide the, U- the game UI. So, you know, the things like your gold and, yeah. uh, pause button and things like yeah. that, those are all just overlaid DOM elements, uh, because recreating that kind of interaction in canvas is just kind of silly, right? It, it would is. be a lot more work to do it there. Yep. And, uh, and browsers of course already have this beautiful layer for interaction,
2: right? Yeah. Although, generally, it's for interacting against the mouse.
0: Yep. Yeah, and I mean, that's what most of that UI is for.
2: Right. Yeah, I keep getting fixated on collision detection and I'm realizing it's just not a necessary thing to worry about. Hmm. I, I think <laughs> I, I know the wrong things about game development to think this way.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, like, it was quite a bit of a challenge to get seemingly simple things like, you know, clicking on a pirate... To work. Uh, right. In fact, for the current version, um, I don't think we updated it, but I think we're, uh, we're relying on just hex locations. So you click on a hex tile, and we're actually mathematically calculating which tile you clicked on, and that's how we select wow. uh, a unit.
2: Right, and you have a raise of what's in what tile, so you, once you've calculated what the likely tile is, you know what you've clicked on.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, not actually our newer version of out. Easel actually make it so that we can do like pixel-perfect hit detection. And so we could have it so that you can actually click the individual pirates and have that work properly. But um, initially, we had to go with you know just a mathematical solution.
2: Yeah. Now, that's fair. If we're figuring out exactly where the mouse pointer is in the reference of something as dynamic as a web page, that's really tough.
0: Yeah. And, and again, like it, with Canvas, once you draw something, it's just pixels on the screen. It's, you know, Canvas has no idea what you've clicked on. So right. uh, you have to like retranslate a mouse click back into your data structure to figure out what happened.
2: But so when you animate that pirate, how do you clean up the old pirate, the, the previous frame?
0: So we're actually drawing each frame distinctly. So we're clearing the canvas, redrawing uh, that whole layer. So we actually Damn. have a few canvases going at once, okay. layered on top of each other, each with transparency, and then we just watch to see which canvas uh, has gotten dirty, and um, and then we just clear that whole canvas and redraw it.
2: So there's a canvas for each pirate?
0: No, there's uh, for example, like a pirate's canvas and a creep's canvas, and um, there's a map canvas. So, for example, once the map has been rendered, we never redraw it again.
2: Right. Um,
0: oh. I think we have an effects canvas too.
2: And the daisies?
0: Uh, the daisies. I don't remember which canvas they go on. I think they're just piled onto like the pirates ca- uh, canvas.
1: Do you just do you handle those animations with timers or timelines, or is there any special? Uh, is there any special help for doing that kind of thing?
0: Uh, we basically just have one class that manages the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's called Ticker, and basically you add listeners to it, and that class can be paused, which lets us pause the whole game. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it, underneath it all, it's just an interval. Yeah.
2: We still have a sense that a lot of canvas work is going on here, that you spend most of your time
1: rendering canvases. Well, and that's probably why you created Easel, right? Just to sort of wrap some of that fundamental stuff in a in a library.
0: Yeah, totally. <laughs> just to make this a whole lot easier.
1: Is your uh, um, simple animation timeline thing in Easel, or is that just something that you have to recreate every time?
0: The Yeah, we have a class called Bitmap Sequence. And Bitmap Sequence basically takes a sprite sheet and frame data. And um, it lets you do things like just say, go to and play, you know, attack left. And and it'll go in and it'll start playing that sequence, right? It'll run through all the frames. And then you can choose whether to loop them or whether to sequence it back to another animation or, um, or just stop at the end.
1: It's funny. This is all stuff that's in Silverlight. You
0: know, yep, <laughs> yeah, and in flash, yeah, I mean, easel is very much built on like a flash metaphor, and I mean, Silverlight has a very similar metaphor to, to mm. flash um, so so yeah, it's it it all looks familiar, it's supposed to look familiar, It's supposed yeah. to be a comfortable place for interactive designers to go.
1: At Franklin's Net right now you can get a DVD with over eleven hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only six ninety-five. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of happy.net Rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at Carl at franklins
2: You know, we keep conflating uh, when people talk about HTML five. They just sort of bunch CSS three in there as well. Although, depending on who I talk to, some folks think CSS three is even more important. Does it play a role in uh, Pirates?
0: Uh, no, we didn't use CSS three at all in Pirates. We were, uh, if we had been, if we had a little bit more time to work on it, we might have done some uh, transitions particularly things like bringing in the help page and stuff like that, right. using CSS3 transitions. Um, but for the game engine itself, it really didn't make much sense.
1: No, no need. Well, Richard, tell me a little about CSS3. Now I'm interested. Well, I think Grant could probably answer that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't played with it a, a whole lot yet, um, but CSS3 adds, um, at least, it, it's not supported on all browsers yet, but there are CSS3 transitions, which makes it easy to move things around on stage and have, you know, a variety of like visual effects for bringing content in and out. Okay. Um, so we were, you know, it's definitely a lot easier to work with if what you're doing kind of fits into one of those transitions. But when you're, you know, being very, when you need very precise control over what's going on, it's a little harder to get them to do what you want.
2: And I haven't thought at all about C- applying CSS three to canvases. I
0: just, just, yeah, they're kind of disparate features, like they don't really work together. Yeah. Um, There's some things you can do, but it gets very hackish.
2: Yeah, to me, it seems like CSS3 is what you apply to the normal DOM, to your regular right. document pieces. And then when you don't want to deal with that, you go to the canvas and you're isolated from all of that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, canvas is really ground up. You basically are writing everything from scratch
2: right alright well that's fair I mean I it, like I said I, I only brought it up because I couldn't imagine how CSS3 would really do anything in a game it didn't seem to apply
0: yeah again it's more targeted at the DOM and UI and things like that so you, you know you can definitely see having it apply to some of the UI things that you're doing but not so much the core game engine I mean mm-hmm. you can build a game by making all of your sprites uh, DOM elements and moving them around but Uh, It's just not as efficient as using Canvas.
2: That doesn't strike me as better. It it strikes me as worse, actually. (laughs) But you come from a flash world, right? Before all of this, you were doing flash work?
0: Right. I mean, we've basically always been an interactive development company, but up until fairly recently, you know, with Silverlight, for example, and... um, HTML5 now, and even, you know, some of the mobile platforms like uh, iOS and Android, there really wasn't a better platform for doing interactive. I mean, we're still doing lots of Flash work, um, but we're spreading our wings. We're doing some other stuff as well.
2: Well, it just doesn't strike me that we're going to be one way or the other anytime soon.
0: Right, totally. I mean, there's different strengths for every technology. I mean, Flash is still has better tooling, it's still a little bit more performant, it's uh, much more consistent across browsers. Um, you know, the same things go for Silverlight, right? A much more consistent environment. Um, but, you know, it, it's dependent on a plugin, and that plugin doesn't live everywhere, right? right. But right now, HTML5 doesn't live everywhere either. <laughs>
2: yes, and, and where it does live, it's not the same, although by the sounds of things, it's not as different as you'd think.
0: Right, I mean... Definitely, when you start getting onto mobile devices, you start seeing some differences. Um, Android is actually pretty good. Uh, Pirates doesn't run in Android, but all of our Easel content runs properly in Android. Interesting. Uh, iOS is not as good. We see a lot more bugs with it, a lot more issues getting things running. Hmm. Um, again, Easel is fully compatible with it, but the performance is just really, really poor there.
2: Wow. And that was the thing I was thinking was, especially when we're talking about Canvas rendering, Right. this is a battle of performance, not features.
1: Uh, y- well, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, again, the implementation on Canvas is actually surprisingly consistent across all of these devices, Interesting. Um, including iOS. I mean, our demos run just fine visually. They're just, um, just really slow there.
2: Right. And I wonder if it's because it's a new feature and everyone had to start from scratch and more or less did the same things.
0: Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, a lot of Apple's priority in terms of accelerating uh, HTML content has been around CSS3 transitions, right? Because they they kind of spearheaded that um, that addition, and so uh, it's great for making like little applications and stuff like that that run on iOS. But it's not helpful when you need to, you know, build a game engine.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what's next for uh, for uh pirates love daisies
0: uh well we're working on a couple of new features i don't really want to go into them until we know when we can get them done i mean we we tend to stay perpetually busy and pirates love daisies is uh is now in the hobby stack right it's something that we're still having a lot of fun with it, but it's uh, it's something we work on when we have the time to do it.
1: So you did it just for an exercise in HTML5 development? Is that Was that the main idea behind it?
0: Yeah, I mean, the goal... So Microsoft came to us, and, and basically their goal was to have us just show what we could do with the technology and to demonstrate that it was possible to build um, a good game on top of HTML5. Uh, And for us, it was all about exploring the technology. We really wanted to see what we could do, you know, what was possible, whether or not it was mature enough that we actually wanted to get involved with it, and, um, you know, whether it offered us any advantages over what we were already using.
2: But it sure sounds like it's not going to make sense on a phone.
0: Uh, I mean, there's definitely stuff you can do with it on a phone. Like, um, we can use Easel and Canvas to display bar graphs or um, other types of visualizations, as long as they're reasonably static. It's just when you start, at least on iOS, is when you start trying to move stuff around and animate it on Canvas that things really slow down. On Android, you can actually do fairly interesting things with it. Mm-hmm. I and mean, it's still not a desktop computer, obviously, but um, but it performs okay.
2: Yeah, and goodness knows what it does to battery life as well. Yeah. But I. I th- I think there's a culture out there that wants to believe that there's one development environment that will do it all in every platform.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, it's going to be funny watching all of the flash detractors, all the people who have been screaming about battery life and um, you know CPU use and things like that um, start to get used to HTML5 and realize that, hey, this is, this is just the way interactive technology is. There's a lot of stuff going on on screen. There's a lot of Code running, and it's it's going to take CPU, and it's going to eat up your battery.
2: Yeah, yeah, and there's no there's no way away from that. And meantime, you're suffering with inferior tooling and a somewhat variable uh, per- behavior difference.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, you, you have to be pragmatic when you're choosing technologies. I think there's a lot of very zealous people on well <laughs> every single side of the. The debate, and um, uh, I don't know, it's, it just never made sense to me. I really, you know, I'm happy working with any technology. I don't have a huge amount of loyalty um, to to a technology beyond what it can allow me to build and how it can allow me to do cool stuff for clients. So
2: right, what it did for you, you know, what can you do for me today? Not what you did for me yesterday.
0: Yep, exactly.
2: So, every so often, you've got to get a new project where you get to choose a technology. So, how, where does HTML5 stack up in a typical, say, web app implementation versus, say, Flash or Silverlight?
0: Uh, Well, I mean, we're pretty realistic about it right now. Um, We're not really recommending it to most clients. I mean, some clients are looking at it, number one, because it's a buzzword and everyone's talking about it. Right. Um, but also because they just want to be, like, forward-looking, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they want uh, they want the um, sort of press press or interest that's attached to unveiling something really cool that uses HTML5. And so Right, they want to ride the HTML5 you know, if They have a mm-hmm. good reason for it we're totally happy building something in HTML5. Um, we'll obviously warn them what, you know, what to expect with it. Um, but, I mean, something like really heavily interactive pieces right now, um, in terms of bang for buck, I mean, flash or Silverlight is is still, still generally the way to go. Well, that I mean, brings
1: me to this question, which is going through the whole process of developing in HTML5, what's on your wish list? for html5 maybe not just for the spec but for browser implementations what uh what would you like to have it do better
0: uh i mean i think there's really two core parts to that there's tooling right we need better tools yeah uh we need things like animation tools i mean adobe has shown uh some tools around that i think they showed uh something at max um we need better code editors, we need better compilers, right, pre-compilers. Um, and these things are coming, and they're getting better. Uh, and then from a browser perspective, I mean, for me, the biggest thing is performance, right? If you have enough yeah. performance, you can work your way around just about anything. Uh, so, you know, better, faster code execution, a uh, faster graphics layer, you know, more hardware support, um, right. you know, Web workers, uh, I'd still love to see those implemented consistently across all the browsers so that you can actually take advantage of multiple cores. Um, Yeah.
2: Cool. Yeah, you don't think about multiprocessing from a browser
1: perspective.
0: Until you try and write a game with one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Would you like to see uh, sort of ASP.NET controls around HTML5 or would that Uh, would you not want to even go there designer-wise?
0: I'm never a big fan of like pre-canned interactions like that. I mean, I'm biased because my company tends to focus on like very custom cutting edge work. Right. Um, And I, I tend to really dislike, I mean, there's a place for it, right? Like, you know, graphing components or things like that, stuff that can be used in the internet or for, um, you know, corporate stuff. But, I I really don't like going to like a nice site and being able to say yes that's a you mm. know that's an ASP .NET component right there right
2: right <laughs> yeah hey, you're not a third party control guy I
1: gotta think well I guess I just um, mean fun I mean
0: we try and use them where they make sense definitely but we tend to tend to alter them
1: <laughs> well I I just mean I guess sort of um you know around tooling having a canvas object you know control and having some of the primitive stuff available there with, you know, maybe maybe wizards, maybe not wizards, but maybe just easier ways to graphically develop HTML5.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely, from a tooling perspective.
1: Do you think the uh, ASP.NET designer is is where that should go in, um, in Visual Studio? I'm not
0: a Windows guy, so I don't spend a lot of time in, okay. in the Microsoft tools. Um, Fair enough. I've been, you know, for example, I work with Dreamweaver, Um, actually, just today, I started working with uh, a tool called, see, I don't even know it by name, uh, (laughs) WebStorm, which seems to be a really nice little uh, JavaScript code editor. Um, But yeah, I mean, like, Dreamweaver has a live view, which is really nice, where you can actually write code, and as you write the code, including HTML5 features, you can actually see them running in a split pane as you mm-hmm. go, which uh, I found pretty useful uh, building a lot of this stuff.
2: Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, they're talking about uh, Studio uh, 2000 SP1 will have HTML5 support in IntelliSense. 2010 SP1? or Yeah, 2010. SP1. the next thing we get will have IntelliSense for HTML5. Well, that's good. I guess there's different kinds of tooling, too. It's one thing to have your development tools understand HTML5 and make it easier for you to write HTML5, Mm -hmm. and there's another thing to start using uh, components and things that generate the HTML5 for you.
0: Right. Yeah, I I definitely tend to be a close-to-the-metal developer, right? I mean, I... I've never been a big user of Flex, uh, for example. My company uses Flex a lot, but my personal mm-hmm. style is usually more algorithms and visual experiments and things like that that uh, tend to be more focused on the code. There might be a visual result, but I, I don't usually use a lot of like pre baked frameworks or components.
2: Yeah, and and Flex is the Adobe tool.
0: Yeah, Flex is basically a. Um, of an ap- application abstraction layer on top of flash.
1: Right. You can tell how much flash Richard and I do.
0: <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm
1: trying to keep up, man. <laughs>
0: yeah, flex is very similar to like XAML and Silverlight. Right. right. Oh, okay. I mean you can you can write C sharp and you could build a whole Silverlight application pretty much just writing C sharp. Yeah. Or you can go in and you know write XAML and set up application states and stuff like that. And that's that's basically the Flex layer and the the uh, flash stack.
2: And you don't use Flex.
0: Not personally. I mean, I, I do occasionally, but it usually isn't the type of thing that I do. Usually I'm much more focused on, like, uh, pure code things.
1: All right. Interesting. So, Grant, we're coming down to the end of the show here. Is there anything uh, else that we missed that you want to talk about or a resource you want to throw out there? Hi, Mom, anything?
0: Uh, no, not really. I think we covered a lot.
1: All right. Well, con- continued success with Pirates Love Daisies and in everything that you guys do thank you all right we'll see you next time rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop productions providing professional audio audio mastering video post production and podcasting services at www.dotnetrocks.com. net